This Can Do Podcast is brought to you by Blake Albina Thoroughbred Services. Blake Albina is a full-service bloodstock agency and consignment company representing clients at every major horse sale in the country. For more information, call Ron Blake at 859-396-4836 or Hunsley Albina at 859-621-0800. Whether an experienced owner or a newcomer to the game, Blake Albina has the knowledge and experience to help you achieve your goals in the thoroughbred industry. I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do. Thanks for joining us on this week's edition of the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast. The podcast about all things horse racing, some history, some handicapping, and some humor. I was very fortunate to be able to meet with jockey Tyler Bays 10 or so days ago during workouts at Santa Anita. We sat down in the grandstand above the legendary Clocker's Corner for our discussion. The original intent of our talk was to unravel the mysteries, at least for me, of the unique downhill turf course at Santa Anita, including just how downhill it is, how you get a horse to go right then left, and how you get a horse to not worry so much about the dirt crossover. I also asked Tyler about some of the quote-unquote common wisdom we betters have about the downhill turf course, which he promptly shattered. We also covered some other topics, including Tyler's place in the sprawling Bayes family tree, how he got his start as a jockey, and of course we discussed the difficult situation with the horses breaking down on the Santa Anita track. While Tyler did acknowledge the impact that the heavy rains this winter in Southern California have had on the track and the impact that that service has had on the horses, I found it interesting that Tyler was adamant that the track surface was far from the only factor. Some more research needs to be done for sure. It's rare that any tragedy or series of related tragedies have one sole contributing factor. But in the meantime, let's go to the interview. So, Tyler, one of the things I did before I came out here was tried to figure out all the different branches of the Bayes family, and I actually ran into a forest. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> so, what is your branch, if you will, of the Bayes family? Uh, well, my grandpa's Carl Bays. He trained at Long Acres, Yakima Meadows, and Portland Meadows. My dad is Earl Bays. He shoes horses. He actually rode races for about two months. And uh, my mom rode races for probably 10 years off and on. She got hurt a lot. And my Uncle Gary Bays is leading, I think he's a leading rider in Washington. Lifetime, like I think, time, right? I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, and he's a steward up there now, right? And he's right? a steward up there, yeah. yes. Okay. And then uh, he married Vicky Bays, which was Vicky Aragon. I think my Aunt Tony rode that's married to Gary Stevens for 16 years, I think. Yeah, my Uncle Mike, he rode for who knows how long, 30 years off and on. So do you ever get any breaks from Gary and a steward when you're up there at the Emerald, or does no. he <laughs> make it tougher on you? No, actually, uh, he wasn't a steward <laughs> when, I, when I was up there. Okay. Start. The, both times I went up there and rode. I think I've ridden there three times, and he wasn't a steward, so. Okay. So, how did you end up down here in Southern California, Tyler? Well, I was, uh, as soon as I turned 16, I got my galloping license up there at Emerald. Uh, really, I couldn't find any horses to get on and that morning, and, and the leading trainer walked by, and I was in the kitchen with uh, with my dad having hot chocolate, and uh, the leading trainer walked by, and Tim McKenna says, uh, you want to gallop a horse? I said, I'd love to. All right, I'll watch you on one. So, he watched me on a horse gallop, and... Uh, Asked me if I want a job, if I could be there at 4.30 every day, and I said yes, and that's how it pretty much started for me. But uh, before that, I was a, I cleaned stalls at Emerald when they first opened and kind of moved my way up from cleaning stalls. Cleaned stalls, and then I groomed, and then 
once I could get a galloping license, you know, start galloping horses. But all along, I was getting on horses at the farm with my dad. I remember the first thoroughbred I got on was one that's actually still in our backyard. I was eight years old, and uh, her name's Obie Sluey, and she ran off with me. It was a half-mile bouldering with no rails on top of this hill. <laughs> and I'd been getting on her every day in the arena, and my dad says, well, go out there and jog her twice backwards and turn her around and gallop her three. I said, okay, so... But the second time galloping around, she took off with me, and I think she ran off with me about eight times around that thing. <laughs> I was so weak. And uh, But anyway, back to Emerald. You know, I started galloping horses for Tim McKenna. He was the leading trainer that year. And and besides getting on 12 to 15 a day for him, I'd freelance and get on three or four more for other trainers. And after that, I'd go out to the farm and gallop another 10 or 15 babies. I was galloping for Tim McKenna and Mike Pewich, trying to get my uh, jockey's license. And uh, Mike asked me one day, he said, you sure this is really what you want to do? You want to ride races? I said, yeah. I want to do it since I was seven years old when I watched my Uncle Gary win the win the Derby on winning colors. I told, I told my dad, that's what I'm going to do, Dad. And he said, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity of a lifetime. And I'm going to have my uncle fly up here. And that was my first agent, Ivan Pewich. Uh, he flew up there. I met him one morning. He watched me work a couple horses. And he said, I'll take you and I'll get you the Eclipse Award and I'll make you the best jockey in the world. But... I'm going to have to take something away from you. You're, you're going to hate me for it. He says, take something away from me. Like like what? He says, I'm going to take your childhood away from you right now. That's it. No more being a kid. I said, if you, he said, if you want to ride, you're you're going to work. Said, okay. Wow. And uh, I think my parents' anniversary was the next week, and I told them I'd, I'd been building a vehicle for my – I built my parents a, a truck for their 20th wedding anniversary. <laughs> no way, really. Wow, and, that's awesome. Uh, so I drove that home on their wedding anniversary, and I left the next day, and I've been down here ever since pretty much. Okay. All right. And uh, galloped horses here for uh, about six months, or worked horses. He said he wanted me to work a 1,000 horses before he let me rode, and I swear he ca- he had to have counted them. <laughs> I was working 10 horses a day every single day for wow. about six months. Yeah. And uh, then, like I said, uh, my first race was six and a half down the hill. Yeah, so that's a good that's a good segue. That's really what I wanted to talk to you about the downhill turf course. It's actually pretty interesting that, um, of course, you can't train on it, right? When the horse gets on it, it's likely their first time on it. But let's talk about you first. Your first race on it is this very unique configuration here. Yeah, my first race ever. And so what was it like when the gate sprung? Well, first of all, it was one of the biggest days of Santa Anita. It was October 2nd, 1999. Uh, It was Goodwood Breeders' Cup Day, which is the major prep day for for the Breeders' Cup races. And... uh, so in my in my race, actually, there was about six guys that were in the Hall of Fame. There was Lafitte, Eddie Delahousie, Chris McCarron, my uncle Gary, uh, Jerry Bailey was here, uh, Edgar Prado was here. You know, there's no all pressure these. then. Good. No, no pressure. <laughs> and uh, you know, I d- it was just a unique course because it's the only course in the in America that you go right and left. You know, it's the only race. So uh, you know, I talked to a few guys about riding it and. Um, my agent made me walk up to the top and walk down it just so I seen it. And I asked Eddie Delahousie, I remember him telling me, uh, it's pretty simple, son. You need to take a right and then you take a left. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, that's what I did. It, that it seems was, helpful. Uh, of course, the name was Silver Lord for a guy named John Jacobs. And, uh, you know, the gates come open and I just wanted to make sure I stayed out of everybody's way. <laughs> you know, I was 100 to 1 and, and, and really I just, I, it was just a fun ride. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so exciting. My dad showed up and surprised me. And uh, that was pretty special because, 
you know, you always want to make your parents proud. Sure. And yeah, I know I have, yeah. so it's it, uh, it was really cool. And you said you were riding against your uncle in that race also. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Gary was in there. And uh, like I said, there's about seven or eight Hall of Fame guys in there. It was pretty cool. Well, I mentioned to you earlier that I interviewed Joe Steiner, and Joe mentioned something to me that was pretty interesting about when he started out as a jockey. I asked how much did the other riders share with him, you know, education, he said. And what he said to me was that they shared enough to keep themselves out of trouble. Was that your experience too? Oh, yeah, but, you know, being a jockey, you constantly learn. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still not learning. (laughs) You know, just... A couple of years ago, Kent Desormo taught me something, and it's just like, I try to keep that one to myself. Okay. It's just uh, like, then I won't ask you. Okay. That, it's <laughs> just like, wow, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. sure enough, it's that, that's it's worked out for me in, in a lot of cases. But everybody shares a little here and there. You know, I, I've got the privilege to ride with the older guys, you know, mm-hmm. with Eddie D and Chris McCarron and Lafitte and, and the guys that were, they, they, they all made history. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and I got to learn from them and ride yep. with them for years, and... Uh, so I was very privileged to be able to do that, you know, and even nowadays I try try to help the kids if, you know, if they have questions or something and, and talk to them about a race or something. And and I don't know, I think it's all about how much you want to learn, really, okay. you know. And keep I, your ears I, open. I just, and yeah, keep your ears open and, and keep asking, keep mm-hmm. trying to learn, keep watching the videos, see what you did wrong and try to correct yourself next time when you're in that situation. Okay. So it's just the whole the whole sport is a learning process, and I don't think you can ever, like, Maybe you can't never master it. You know, yeah. every horse yeah. is different. Every situation's different, and you just gotta really ride it as it comes. But uh, what I've come to find out is ride with your instincts. Okay. More than yep. trying to make horses do what they're what's pushing them. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're pushing them you're, and you're and you're making them do different things that's out of their style, then actually you're using horse. Okay. You know, and you're rather kind of stay out of their way and just try to go uh, instinctually. And I uh, found out that works pretty good. And I suppose that's something you get more comfortable with. I think anybody would say that, any profession with that, over time you get more comfortable with your instincts as you just practice more, right? And, yeah. And, yeah. And the hardest part about about my job is when a trainer gives me instructions. That is the hardest part because when the gates come open, it's not always going to turn out the way. It doesn't happen that way. The yeah. paper says it's going yep. to, you know. The gates yep. come open, everything's different. you got plan A, B, C, and D, and which one are you going to go with? Whatever your instinct feels, you know. And sometimes you're right, and sometimes you're wrong. And uh, to me, I've, I've always tried to be honest with trainers. If I mess up, I just tell them, you know, listen, I messed up this time. I'm sorry. It was my mistake. I didn't know how much horse I had, you know, because I, I, the guy that taught me how to ride, one of my main teachers was Chance Rollins. And he was an advocate about saving ground. Okay. And so okay. he's made me yep. that way. So, yep. uh, and you know, that's I like to save ground. Everybody knows that. I think the betters like people who like to uh, jockeys yeah. who like to save ground too. I mean, uh, but but your point is good, right? It's it's sometimes it doesn't always play right, out. Right, right, know? right. I'm it's, saving too much ground. I'm blocked behind dead exactly. horses. Exactly, it's not and the right it's just place. Like man, if I knew I had that much horse yeah. under me, I would have just went around, swung them out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. so you know, you make mistakes and you you, you try to learn from them. So, uh, Tyler, on this, this uh, we're sitting here in the grandstand at Santa Anita, and I'm looking over there at the downhill turf course. The first thing that always strikes me when I see a race from here is that, from the downhill course, is that that starting gate is a million miles away from the grandstand. I mean, you are a long way away. It seems away. like it. Yeah, yeah, at least from the camera angle, right? And because one of the things I think that's unique about it is when they're loading, the horses can't load, you know, they can't all stand behind the gate when you're loading. You actually have to stand in front of the gate and kind of wait your turn, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's a, a whole... There's a whole process there um, yeah. for 
load one and six. Yeah, because the gate's pretty much backed up to that to that road. Right, right. It's, it's right, right. There's the access road behind it, right? Yeah. So, yeah, no no room behind it. And so I know your first race was on the downhill, but let's talk about a horse whose first race is on the downhill. Do you ever get the feeling, i got to ask you this, if you're going to kind of pitch over the top of them that they're all of a sudden running downhill that they've never really done before in training or anything, right? Like their breakneck runaway, nothing like that? Not really. Uh, you know, horses first time down the hill, a lot of people like going back and forth over the dirt. I don't. Okay, okay. I don't want them, oh, why are we doing this? Okay, you know, Don't right. get the horse wonder, thinking yeah, okay. about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And Lafitte told me that. That's one of the things I've learned from Lafitte. You know, he never he went never went back across it. And uh, I haven't went back across it in a long time until the race is run because my opinion is, like Lafitte said, if you give a horse something to look at, then they're going to be, the, okay, something there is going to jump out at me yeah. or something. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like taking a first-time horse down the hill. I like taking them up to where the half-mile pull is and just letting them look. Okay. Let them look at the grandstand. Let them, let them take it all in. And, and, you know, it's it's amazing the feeling some horses get when and they just, like, they're excited about it. You know, they're away from the racetrack, but then the racetrack's right there. So it's it's yeah. it's just, it's it's cool. Yeah. You know, it's it's my favorite race to ride. Okay. Really? All right. Yeah, I love I love it. It's, I mean, ain't nothing better than riding down the hill when you got horse. Okay. <laughs> you got horse, and, and uh, I got beat a length here in the Breeders' Cup on a filly named Gotta Have Her. And the down, I got stopped three times. Oh, man. Honor and should have won. California flag won that year. But 14 horse field, and everybody's riding tight. And, yeah. You know, yep. riding with the best guys in the world, so nobody's going to give away anything. I just, circumstances were, the choices I made in that race, maybe it cost me, maybe it didn't, because the guys in front of me weren't staying straight or something. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of had to check her a couple times, but um, it's definitely my favorite race to ride. So, how. How steep is the downhill? It's not steep at all. You, okay. wouldn't, you wouldn't even know you're going downhill. I mean, I guess you do know you're going going downhill because you're definitely going faster. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The you fractions know, are quick. Yeah, yeah. You're definitely going faster, especially when you get a, a real rocket. But um, most of the time, it's it doesn't feel different than riding on the, okay know, around the oval. Now you have to take that. I think the the right turn is pretty sharp. Correct when you come down the hill and it is. It's. Uh, and a lot of horses, first time down the hill, they've never been asked to go right before. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that, you know, Chance taught me was keep your stick in your left hand, which every time I'm on the in the one, two hole, sometimes three hole, I'll always have my, my stick in my left hand, especially coming out of the chute, you know. And, and uh, so I've been fortunate to be very comfortable with my stick in my left hand, which... I always, especially first time down the hill, I always have my stick in my left hand until we get around that right hand turn. Because you want to make sure that you, you can never guide them. Okay. Yeah, if, okay. If you need your stick to help you out a little bit, then then you have it. Okay. It's okay. better to be prepared than not prepared. So I know uh, what's really fascinating when you watch the, you know, when you see it on TV, the overhead, they take that right turn, and then immediately everyone's coming over to the left, right? Or almost immediately, it seems like. The shortest way to home is a straight line. Yeah. And, and, you know, okay. so, so you'll yeah. take the right and then... If I'm on the lead, I take that right-hand turn as sharp as I can, and then I put a bead right on that left-hand turn. I try to make a straight line so I'm not wasting any ground. Yep. And, uh, you know, put a bead on that corner and head straight down down there. For a lot of the young guys, that I was fortunate to ride with the, the older crew, mm-hmm. crew that taught me, and a lot of the younger kids, you know, they, they put themselves in bad spots because they don't, when it's a straight line, you know, they end up putting themselves in a bad spot. You know, it's either get in or get out, you know, going into a turn, so... Like I said, you just try to make a beeline. Well, you mentioned uh, Eddie Delahousse, and I actually, so I did a little reading on the course, and of course they have the race named after Eddie, that's a downhill course, and I, I got to believe that this is part of what you learned from him. You know, he said, really, just kind of 
try and ignore the right turn as much as possible, head straight for the the rail on the left side and get the shortest amount of ground possible, right? I guess that's it. Yeah, yeah. So one thing you hear about a lot, Tyler, is the the one hole is tough on the on the downhill turf race, right? Now, of course, the track is open again today for training, but um, and it's been closed for a couple of weeks now for racing. But I think just before they closed it, like previous twelve downhill turf races, like nine were won for, by horses in the one hole, which is the exact opposite of what you normally hear. Well, I don't. I don't think it's really a matter of what hole you got. I think it's a matter of how much horse you got. Okay. <laughs> the best right. horse to draw on the rail, it, that's okay. it, it happens. All you right. know, and like I said, you got to have a good trip down the hill, you know, and, and uh, you're real fortunate when you get a horse that really loves it because then it makes it a lot of fun. Well, then, so that brings up the whole there are horses for courses, and I would imagine there are horses oh, who especially love the, the downhill, right? They're comfortable on it, they definitely. know what they're doing. And, yep. and, and. Tyler, is, for a long time, I went under the uh, assumption that. You had to have kind of superior speed down the hill to, you know, put yourself in a winning position. Is that always the case, or does it change over over time, or is it just different race to race? It's different race to race. Every race is different. Every horse is different. Like I said, you can't always follow instructions. Most of the time, you just got to go with your gut feeling, and uh, especially down the hill. Yep. You know, if you got the horse, you can get there. You know, and and like my wife always tells me, if a horse has a will to win, they have a will to win. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And look at Zanyata. She wouldn't get beat. Yeah, <laughs> she would not. So it, it was interesting, and I wanted to, it's one of the things I wanted to ask about. You brought up the crossover on the dirt, and I've seen it sometimes watching these races on you know on TV. The the horse kind of just doesn't know what to do all of a sudden, yeah. right? When they when they hit the dirt, your your attitude just it, and I guess if Lafitte Pinkai tells you something, that's probably a pretty good person to take advice from, right? Don't 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 make them overthink it. Basically, is what yeah. What don't he's overthink saying. it. A lot of the times, like I said, I. I just like gallop them straight up. The only time I'll ever really come back is if a horse really jumps it. But most horses don't. Uh, most horses handle it, it fine. So it just kind of depends on the horse. But I I just kind of always thought what well, Lafitte said was pretty smart. Don't give them something to look at. You know, what are you trying to show me, you know? Yeah, yeah, Kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Overthinking it, I guess, right? Yeah. Keep from overthinking it. So once you make the crossover, though, there's actually – there's a – there's a lot of stretch left, right, before... There's a quarter mile. Yeah. 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 Does the, so how does the race change once you've kind of crossed over? Because it, it seems like then, it's, you know, if a horse is in a good position, he can kind of swing out and run him down, or maybe he's he's safe ground and kind of can continue up the rail. I says you got to have horse. Yeah. It's all about how much horse you got and, what, right. you, and okay. what you can do with that. Um, yeah. But uh, that filly I ran second on in the Breeders' Cup, that her thing was what Janine Sahadi trained her. She told me, don't move on her until you get back on the grass. Okay. And I'd get back on the grass, didn't matter where I was in a race. You said go, and there was a gas pedal there like no other. She went, and I, I know I went four or five stakes on her down the hill, and it was, it was, she was a horse for the course, you know. Yeah, yeah. So just, a, I don't want to bring up a, a difficult topic, but today is actually, what today is actually the first day the main track is open again for workers, right? For workers, yeah. yeah they was galloping yesterday and the day before. Okay. So obviously been a lot of speculation about what caused the incidents that happened here. Um, how much do you think the amount of rain we've had in Southern California here this year it had to do with compromising the surface? Uh, well, you know, the rain washes washes dirt away. So, you know, it, I think it probably had had a lot to do with the mixture we had out here. My opinion, it wasn't just the track. It was a combination of everything. You're running on a sealed racetrack that's hard, and, you know, maybe these horses are coming up with little tiny issues that you don't really see at first, and then something else happens when you're out there working on a deeper track. So my opinion, it, was, it wasn't it was all the racetrack. 
it's going to be a lot safer now that we have uh, all these new rules and new vets uh, yep. checking these horses out before they're working and stuff. I think it's a great a great thing, really. Yeah, one thing I was surprised uh, to learn is that you know this issue has come up is that when a horse was claimed until the new rules came into effect, the veterinary records did not follow the horse to the new trainer, and I you know. Yeah, it, it, it surprised me actually quite a bit to hear that. I, I that really, um, yeah, I have to say, it, it surprised me a little bit. Yeah, no, it's going to be a new rule. That's I think it's it's fortunate they they came up with it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a I good agree. idea for for you know the guys to know what's happened with all these horses. Yeah, no, I, I, I 100% agree. Uh, I think it's been in place at Gulfstream for a while. I don't know about New York, which is kind of my uh, home turf. One last uh, back to the the downhill t- course for a second. Um, how much advantage of it, because you hear this, this is another thing you hear about the downhill turf course a lot, is a horse who is going from route to sprint is advantage now with additional stamina, I think, you know, coming down the hill. Is that your experience, or is it just, again, is it just the horse? It, it, you got to have a horse. you got to have a horse, you know, all right. A lot of people look at that, you know, when they run long, and then uh, they know the horse got enough air to go six and a half. You know, they're not going to get tired, so... I mean, I think every horse is going to get tired, but like I said, it's all about how much horse you got under you when you when you can win these races. I mean, some days you're some days you're you're full of horse and the next day they don't feel good. You know, they're 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 a lot like humans, and it's just that's the way it is. You know, I rode a horse uh, last week for a friend of mine and worked great the week before and the other day she was just dull and didn't give me nothing. She was favorite and I was yeah. expecting her. I brought my family out, you know, cuz cuz he's a real good friend of mine and yeah. uh, you know, she didn't show up, but that's just what happens. Well, I think that's one thing that uh, handicappers betters have a hard time with sometimes, and I think you kind of learn over time. You know, if a horse has a performance that's abnormal, sometimes you're just gonna well, maybe maybe the horse wasn't feeling it that sometimes day. Sometimes you, know? you got to toss just, that race out. Yeah, yeah, you just know? just yeah. it happens. This this course has always fascinated me. Really, it, like it, I said, it's unique and it's 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 my favorite course to ride. Yeah, yeah. You know, if I could ride every race on it, I would. Oh, that's awesome. That's Cause awesome. Because it, it is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's got everything going on, right? A little downhill, the sharp turns, and and like you said, it, it's still got a quarter mile to go once you Plenty get back room. on the grass again. There's a lot of room Plenty there. Plenty of room. Yeah. You got the horse. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of people, in my, and I'll include myself, think that, you know, when they're crossing over the dirt, man, if my horse isn't there, you know. But but there, there's there's a ton of room. and It all depends on the pace, too. So. Yep. It's just mm-hmm. it's a... You got to factor in a lot of different things. Yeah. So, actually, just a quick question, though. Sprinting on the flat at Del Mar, right, and sprinting on – does turf sprint form necessarily carry over from the from the flat at Del Mar and the – what is it, five furlongs, I think, in Del Mar to six and a half here, or is it two totally different things? I mean, sometimes the form carries over, but it all comes back yeah. to you got to have <laughs> a horse. horse. you got to have the horse on you to win a race. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, yeah. You know, look at uh, the horse that win the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. You're running down the hill here, you – can't get beat either. So you're on five eights of Del Mar. He wins by a nose every time. It's uh, I think that it sometimes it's horse for course, but it all comes down to you got to have the horse. Yeah, the horse is got to be ready. So you're you're putting your fate in the hands of the trainer. Hopefully the trainer has him ready. Hopefully the horse feels good that day, right? Yeah, because, exactly. Because if the horse doesn't feel good, doesn't doesn't matter what anybody did. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, listen, Ty, appreciate you making time for me. Thank you. All have right. a good day. You too. I really enjoyed sitting down with Tyler. I wish him well as he picks up his tack and moves over to Oaklawn and wherever he goes from there. He's got three young children, and as he told me, he has mouths to feed, and a close track isn't going to feed the family. So let's move on to this week's Big Score. The Big Score segment of our podcast is brought to you by your friends at Endeavor Farm on Old Frankfurt Pike in the heart of the bluegrass. Every Big Score has its roots down on the farm. Boarding, breeding, foaling, layup care, and sales prep are all services offered by Terry Nickel and his team at Endeavor. You can reach Terry at 
509-7035 or email him at terry at endeavorfarmky.com. That's E-N-D-E-A-V-O-R-F-A-R-M-K-Y.com. Thanks again to our friends at Endeavor Farm for sponsoring The Big Score. As you know, Terry Nickel and the team at Endeavor Farm sponsor our Big Score segment. Terry joins us this week to share a couple of Big Score stories with us. I think you'll agree that the first one definitely has a ring to it. His other Big Score story reminds us of a very classy sprinting filly from a few years back. Knowing the history of, of your podcast, I actually gave that just a little bit of thought, and I'll share two of them real quickly okay, with you. great. The first one goes back to the spring of 1978. Uh, I was home from college on spring break, and my dad's running uh, a farm after he left Spinthrift. And the guy there, the farm manager, trained a few little old cheap horses on the side. And he comes, you know, I come home, he goes, Terry said, you need to go to Latonia with me tonight. <laughs> I got a filly that's going to run. And, I, you know, I can just about guarantee this filly's going to win. So, all right. You know, gentleman's name was Bill Gregory. It's all right, Bill. I, you know, as long as my parents will let me go, I'll jump in the truck and ride up to Latonia with you. So, anyway, long story short, Philly paid $90, $95 to win. <laughs> I got $20 across the board on this horse. I'm, you know, 19 years old and um, <laughs> was dating a young lady in college, and that that hit bought an engagement ring. Well, that's a big score. <laughs> that big score. Then second one real quick, the person that I worked for for many years uh, prior to starting Endeavor Farm, a guy named Nathan Fox, bought a, bought a filly, uh, a two-year-old train sale up at Timonium. And filly turned out to be a horse named Secret Gypsy. And this filly had been showing some promise every morning. And... Um, Ronnie Warner was trainer, had her up to mm. Saratoga, and um, lo and behold, you know, time comes, there's a maiden special weight, Wayne Lucas has got something in there, Todd Pletcher's got something in there, Nick Zito's got something in there, I mean, it, you know, it was just murderer's row of trainers, Yeah, just loaded. Anyway, uh, this filly goes off at 15, 16 to 1, put her in the starting gate, and before they can even spring the latch, she breaks through the gate. Assistant starter holds on to her. They walk her around two or three times in front of the, you know, front of the, the vet. They load her back into the gate. Breaks out of the gate like a scalded dog and just drew off. And uh, 15, 16 to 1 oh. and broke the track record that day. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that was, a, yeah, that was a really good day. I say she went off 15, 16 to 1. I went back and had to look, but... Uh, the exact of that day paid 155 bucks, and the and the thing was a 50 cent try paid 700 bucks. Oh, and gosh. anyway, wow, uh, wow, a little little financial gain that day. Yeah, yeah. Think about all those poor suckers too, Terry, that went back and canceled their bets when they saw her break through the gate, <laughs> yeah, right? Came through the starting gate. <laughs> I almost did myself. <laughs> well, you know what my rule is: the bet is made. Uh, you know, there's no going back, right? Because you just don't know, right? But, but I do know. <laughs> I, I can imagine people did go back and cancel like crazy. That's hilarious. Great, thanks, Terry. We appreciate that, and we appreciate your sponsorship. Our guest handicapper this week is Jamie Michelson. Jamie joins us from the Motor City, but is going to be handicapping the big race this weekend at the fairgrounds in the Crescent City. Jamie, we've got a good-sized field of 11 in here, including arguably the horse who has been the most impressive in the prep season to date, War of Will. What are you looking at here? Good morning, Bill. I, I'm, I'm, uh, first, I'm looking at you know bigger 
picture kind of going, are there any classic distance horses in this race? You know, mm. I a quarter mile and a half horses. I don't know yet. That's what's fun about these. I'm with you. I think where Will is bit, what's been impressive is he's won a couple of races, like what from like post 47 and post 50 <laughs> or something like that, and some previous another previous zip code. Start. Yeah. yeah, and uh, so probably you know love doing these races where you've got where you're going up. Oh, it's the favorite's race to lose. Like, oh, big observation. <laughs> uh, but it probably is. But I got excited about, because I do like exacto boxes and simple better. And I thought there's probably some value in two other horses in this race to do with him, I thought, which is the source Mr. Money, mm-hmm. who's only once had that first three-year-old race and had a bunch of trouble and kind of just pushed really intrigues me. And then as we talked about wide posts, Hog Creek Hustle, who if he can figure out how to save any ground ever in a race, I think could be really interesting. And so that that was I don't like to usually talk about horses I don't like or you're eliminating, but that's part of handicapping. But Absolutely. I got those three because this country house has three straight races, every single one of them where he hasn't broken very well, which I don't love in young three year olds. Mm-hmm. And then and then that horse spinoff, you know, any horse that wins by like 12 lengths at Tampa and adds weight and goes somewhere else, I tend to discount. That's a putcher horse who could be very, very good. So the war of will with those couple of other horses that are probably, I would got to believe, north each, of, each north of 12 to 1 is kind of how I'm looking at this. And because you and I talk about contests a lot, and fairgrounds usually isn't in the contest, I'll have right. to try to figure out how to beat the favorite. <laughs> well, you know, uh, one thing, you know, you mentioned the wide post that War of Will has had, and, and I, I, I said after his last race, that, look, the horse is ultra impressive. There's no question in my mind about that. And, you know, it has a good work since. But this is going to be the first time, I think, that the horses are going to be inside of other horses who beat or stalkers. And, and I want to see how, how, how he handles it, you know. Uh, I'm not saying he can't handle it. I'm not going to go out there and say that, but this is going to be a different race because spinoffs outside of him, and spinoff is definitely going to show some speed, right? There's no no question about that. Um, so yeah, no, it's just going to be it's just going to be a little interesting. I also think that uh, on the inside, who is it? I'm not I'm not sure I'm going to say this right. Lemniscate, I think, is likely to show some speed also. So. Yeah, because you've got Lemnus Gate left next to Lemonite. Yeah, yeah. Whenever talking about calling race, right? Good luck. <laughs> that's going to be a tough call. That's right. Hopefully, one will break, and it looks like Lemnus Gate will break out front, and Lemonite will break out back. So uh, that will that will work for John Dooley, I think. Um, <laughs> that's pretty. But funny. we get to that kind of interesting time, like what you said about War of Will, where if you've identified him earlier and you go, "Oh, there's the horse I like in the Derby," well, then you don't mind if maybe he runs really well, but he doesn't win for what, what you get later. Because we've studied this race and talked about it, it makes me dig and find it to watch uh, tomorrow and Saturday, after, Saturday afternoon. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting, Jamie, as I'm looking at this one, it, it just occurs to me, we got a race at the fairgrounds, and Florent Giroux is not riding in the race, which surprises me, because we have some jockeys shipping in. Funny you talk about, funny you talk about riders, because you get to that time now where you have Horses running at tracks where you then you have riders, you know, traveling to ride these horses who, you know, like 
Saez was never at the fairgrounds. Right. Ortiz, you know, our, our usual people we watch every week in Florida versus people who do all their riding down there. You know, I, was, I, don't, I don't factor that in a huge way, but it makes there's another interesting layer of variable to look at. Well, I, th- I think there's something to it, you know, and, and look, Hog Creek Hustle, who you cited, is a, is a local horse. Um, Mr. Money, uh, you know, is a, is a local horse also. And, uh, you know, Adam Bashiz is a pretty good jockey. It tends to matter on that track when we do watch fairgrounds and we used to watch it more regularly. The horses that ran there, well, there, whatever it's about. That long fairground stretch, as John Dooley yeah, always likes to say. Gonna, right? <laughs> it's going to feel real long to some of these horses, I think. Well, and, and you're right, too. I think we are at the time of year where you got to start thinking about, you know, looking forward and looking at breeding and, you know, can they get there, you know, have their have their prior, you know, has, has the, have the previous horses out of the sire or, or, or jam sire gone this far? And, you know, there certainly is some classic breeding in there with, among others, War of Will, you know, Warfront. Spinoff is out of hard spun, one of my favorite horses. Uh, so there, there's, uh, yeah, there's definitely some. Uh, it's it's the time of year. It's it's a good point. It's the time of year yeah. you got to look at. There are breeding. a couple of those, but there's also a lot of horses in this race where the siblings were clearly more, you know, shorter distance yeah. or even sprint oriented horses. I I am looking at that, but I am looking at for at that for down the road down the road right 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 and we always got to keep in mind right they can't out they they can't outrun their breeding that does happen um you know just because their brother or their sister or their half brother or half sister didn't doesn't mean that they can't you know you touched on country house too and it is interesting <laughs> i i'm like you anytime i see slow early and then off slow i start to think oh wait a second there's a pattern here you know if you just had the one time, you'd say, okay, all right, you know, that's, it, it happens to everybody. But when it happens twice, every race. yeah, yeah, you start to say, well, wait a second now. Um, and, and actually, I think got a little goofy down the lane in that Risen Star also, if, if I recall watching that race correctly. So, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, uh, he, he's going to get, look, it's Bill Mott, you know, he, he's going to get bet down. You know he's going to get bet down. So he probably is not going to present uh, uh, the, the value I think that, that, you know, guys like you and me are looking for in, in these types of things. So, but w- one of the rules is Jamie, that I always ask people, you got to pick one, right? So I, I understand you're going to play this from an exact to box standpoint. And I think, I think you're on a good couple of them. I would pick war of will to win the race. Okay. 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 He has been that good. I mean, he, yeah. he, he has been that good. And, and actually I noticed that, uh, his last work 47 and three, you know, he's, He's doing okay. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to imagine him not being in the trifecta. That's for sure. Um, and I think you made—I don't know if you made the point before we got on or not. Uh, I think it was while we were recording here that uh, it's kind of race where you almost kind of like to see him. If you really like him for the Derby, you know, maybe he takes a step back here so he can get some numbers in the Derby. <laughs> I used to—I used to do that in prior years. I had horses that really liked for the Derby, and he just—he just. He just Oh, maybe just let him be second in that last prep. <laughs> yep. it. But it's so hard to pick a Derby winner. Are you really caring if the horse is nine to two or five to one and twenty to one when you do your Derby? I mean, that's a good point because you know what? Even if you love the horse in the Derby uh, and he wins, he's probably going to be seven to two or four. You know, which is you know, any other day at the track, you would take that on a on a solid favorite. So of course. The other argument is taking a seven to two and a twenty horse field. Why would you do that? <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> anything can happen, as we all know in that race. So, 
All right, well, we'll go with uh, War of Will, and we will watch with interest. We need to <laughs> we need to get off the schneid a little bit here, Jamie. It's been a tough uh, tough winter for season two of the Can Do podcast with the handicapping, and we've all been taking stabs. So uh, maybe this will turn it around for us. That'd be great. I hope that's the case. All right, thanks, Jamie, and thanks for joining us again on this week's Can Do Horse Racing podcast. Join us again next week when we'll talk with Mr. Big Score Terry Nickel about life down on the farm. And in the meantime, may the horse be with you.